Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brand. And this episode, we're discussing SST 171, the HR album, the HR tapes. Uh, we have had HR on the podcast a number of times. HR, of course, fronted Bad Brains and the Human Rights Band. We most recently had HR on the show as part of SST 169, the Ross Michael episode a few weeks back. But this is our first time going through these recordings. We do get to go through them again in a few weeks from now. Yep. Uh, but to start us out, we've got a special guest this episode. Yeah, we've got Jose Gonzalez on the show. Awesome. Yeah. So Jose, of course, the bass player on these recordings. Very cool to have him on the show and give us some insight as to what was going down in the HR camp pursuing the Zion train, right? Yeah, when we get to the interview, you'll hear I call him Ho. I asked I asked him what he wanted to be, how he wanted me to reference him because he's known on the record as Judah too. And he just said Ho. That's what everyone calls him. Yeah, well, right on. Again, like... It's a, it's a really interesting era for HR, and uh, we've touched on it before. We're going to touch on it a bit differently this episode. Super pumped to have uh, Jose on the show, too. Brant, before we get into it, why don't you hit me with some spiels? Okay, I just have some random cleanup stuff to do here. Nice. So this band, Ryan, called Inside Out. Yes. There's a bunch of bands with that name. A Revelation band. That's the one I know. Yeah, there's a New York hardcore band like associated with the Lost and Found label. But I'm talking about a power trio out of Detroit. They released two LPs on Meantime Records in 1990 and 91 and a handful of singles. So Mike Hard of God Bullies and, you know, a bunch of other right. amazing bands was on the Conan Neutron Protonic Reversal podcast. Right. Podcast shout out, by the way. Conan Neutron's just killing it lately. He had David Yao on recently. Oh, yeah. He's had tons on lately. Yep. And shout out to Conan in particular, too, because um, his latest album that I bought from him got lost in the COVID mail. And uh, as soon as I reached out to him to say, hey, dude, do you have any idea where my record is? He popped another one in the mail, lickety split with a couple of extra stickers. So thanks, Conan. Nice. Uh, anyways, Inside Out bassist, vocalist, Karen Neal was in Thrall with Mike Hard, and I think she played on a couple God Bullies records, and she was also in his band They Never Sleep. So he mentions her in Inside Out several times uh, in the podcast interview. And this album that I've been listening to, called She's Lost Her Head, is so awesome. The chords, guitar chords, are like discordant in a really cool way, almost like Voivod or something. Uh, mm. The bass playing and drumming, super challenging. The vocals are great. I don't even know how to describe the band. Almost, They almost remind me a bit of the band Ultra Bidet. Oh, no way. Yeah, it's kind of psych psychedelic noise, punk. What label? Meantime. Meantime, okay. Yeah. I need to track down their first record in the singles. I really like this, Inside Out. And Mike Hard, he's not on it. It's just that a bass player that he was in Thrall and God Bullies is on it. That's right. Okay, cool. Yeah, check that band out, Ryan. Done. She's Lost Her Head is the record that I checked out. Okay, another one. Abecedarians. They're discussed and interviewed in that Scenesters documentary you hit me to. Right. Uh, which is a super cool look at the mid to late 80s LA and Hollywood music scene kind of centered around the Scream Club. 
This band formed in L.A. around 83. Their first release was in 85. It was an EP called Smiling Monarch, which actually came out on Factory Records, mm. home of Joy Division and New Order, which is actually a, a perfect fit for this. Synthy, gothy, new wave. There's some EPs, a full length in 88. I've been checking out a comp called The Other Side of the Fence, which came out on Bruce Liker's Independent Project Records. That's really cool. I had never heard of that band before. And seen them interviewed in that documentary the normals a band from new orleans i know we had a guest on who mentioned them but i cannot recall who it was do you remember ryan doesn't ring a bell for me yeah. no well explain maybe it'll it'll ring a bell well, they're from new orleans vacation to nowhere is a 12 track studio session from 79 that i don't think was ever officially released until last laugh records put it out about 10 years ago it is super killer, killer first wave punk rock, Buzzcock style. They had two guitarists who both sang. Not sure which of them played lead, uh, Charlie Hansen or David Bruton, but wow, super killer lead guitarist. Really great songs too. Not a band you hear mentioned a lot, The Normals, in the, when you know you think of the first wave of punk in the U.S. Yeah. But this is a recommend for sure. There's a Bandcamp too with this and a bunch of other stuff. The Normals Nola Bandcamp.com. Yeah, you tend. I don't know. I mean, being from Canada, we don't know the whole history in person in detail. Of course, it always seems to focus on the East and West Coast, and then maybe Texas. You don't hear much about New Orleans though. Yeah. So that's cool. Okay, our podcast pal from Treacherous Jaywalkers, Josh Hayden sent me an email and says, Ryan mentioned the Bloody Mannequin Orchestra. Yeah, man. Colin Sears. Yep. He says, out of all the albums for my collection I've had to sell over the years, Roadmap to Revolution is the one I regret selling the most. No way. Yeah. <laughs> this is so awesome. Yeah. Do you know the band, Ryan? Well, no. I, I, I have now, like, again... I was grasping for grave goods. I need more grave goods. I was going on the grave goods tree and I was discovering all these other Colin Sears bands. That is a band that I really learned about for the first time when researching Colin Sears a couple of weeks ago. And I am just getting to know them. I don't own any of their music. I've just heard like some YouTube videos. That's it. Okay. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, Colin and Roger Marbury actually were both in the yep. band pre Dag Nasty. Yep. Uh, this DC label WGNS Recordings, which which was associated with the studio of the same name in Arlington, released two albums by the band, the cassette only Streetlights in the Dark in 84 and the LP Roadmap to Revolution, also 84. Yes. Yep. It's super quirky, arty, kind of no wave. There's some great sax on it from Charles Bennington. Guitarist and occasional lead vocalist Sharon Cheslow is a really great on it her post-punk band chalk circle which predates this is also worth checking out all of their yeah she yeah she co-founded wgns with colin oh cool didn't know yeah, that yeah 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 yep the bloody mannequin orchestra stuff was of course recorded by donzi and tara so it's really good you'd like it you should track that down ryan if you can it's on my list don't worry Okay, podcast listener Nick Schultz was saying when you, Ryan, were talking about Mick Turner and the Moodists, yes. you failed to mention two of his best projects slash albums. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. I'm so sorry, but I can't wait to hear what they are. Yeah. 
So his punk band Sick Things, who I know a little bit from some Australian compilations, like Do the Pop, I'm pretty sure they're on there. Uh, but he specifically singled out mix band Fungus Brains. Oh yeah, I remember reading about them. Yeah, they were when I was prepping for that. Yeah, yeah, they were active early to mid '80s. So I tracked down their self-titled full length from 1986, and it's pretty cool. Bass-driven, noisy post-punk with some horns at times. You can hear some Stooges influence, of course, because it's Australian. It's killer. You'd like it. Oh yeah, I'm sure I would. Okay, real quick, Ryan. I'm sure everyone listening to this knows this already, but I'll just mention it real quickly. Way back on episode 013, the blasting concept episode, we had on Abe Gibson as a guest to talk about his forthcoming book. And ever since then, we have been asked repeatedly about the status of the book, not just from listeners, but from band members as well that were interviewed for it. Happy to report Die Wolf Publishing out of Philadelphia has announced they're putting it out sometime next year. So between that and Jim Rulin's book, we should have some great source material for the show. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to read both of them. Yep. I am I am just so pumped. Um, you know, the SST information is strewn across dozens of books and websites that we have to go through all the time. Uh, to have a go-to spot will be fantastic. I can't wait to read and learn more and remind myself of all the stuff I've forgotten about over the last however many episodes. So love it. Yeah. Well, hey, man, Jim Rulin sends me emails all the time and tells me little tidbits of information that from even from people that we've already talked to that is news to me. Yeah. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's just makes me want to close this sucker out in about six or seven more years and then start our second podcast. Yeah. Whatever the hell that is. <laughs> well, we already have dibs on the alternative tentacles one, don't we? Alternative tentacles. That's us. We're doing that one in order. Yeah. Dibs. Okay. One more quick podcast shout out, Ryan. That record got me high. Just had a great episode with Ryan Smith as a guest who plays in the current version of Soul Asylum and some other bands. They do Zen Arcade and it's really good. So check that out. Oh, that would be good. Yep. Yeah. Hey, speaking of alternative tentacles, they just had a wicked garage sale this past weekend, like $1 discs, yeah. $10 LPs. Yeah, I saw that. Aye, aye, aye. Filled a few holes myself, that's for sure. Good. You'll be ready then. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still missing a few Noam Chomsky ones, though. Yeah, well. No, no disc to Noam Chomsky. I've got the Noam stuff covered, so we're good. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I've got some. I don't have it all, though. You've got it all, though. Yeah, I lie. I read his books and stuff, so I'm on. I'm on the on the case with Noam. Do you have all of Jello's spoken word? Yeah. I only have like the first three. What is it? I blow minds for living. No more cocoons. And what's the next one? High priest oh. of harmful matter probably That's is the third high one. Priest. Oh man! But you've got them all since then. Yep. At a boy. Well, at the garage sale this weekend on alternative tentacles, I did buy one new release. Guess which one? A new one. Um. Something by Dead Ending, maybe? No, I just bought the new Guantanamo School of Medicine record. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Of course, I mean, I don't have a physical copy yet, so I got okay. it there. So my spiels, I've got three here. One actually also relates to a new book I saw advertised that'll be coming out this year, hopefully. It's called We Can Be the New Wind. And what? it's coming out on Earth Island Books. 
And it's written by the same guy, Alexandros Anisiadis, who wrote the Cross Over the Edge book, right. where hardcore punk and metal collide. This book seems to be getting at a little bit of what I was talking about when I did that spotlight on seven seconds at the end of last year. Remember that? Yeah. We're talking about how the early hardcore bands, you know, a lot of them crossed over into metal, but some kind of caught the Revolution Summer vibe and got a little bit more melodic. And that's what this book seems to be about. It says it captures the era when bands throughout the world were blending more melodic and experimental styles while heading in an alternative rock direction from hardcore punk. It discusses the interaction of punk, hardcore punk, power pop, and Neo Garage with alternative rock in the 1980s. That's what it says. Hmm. Um, it has more than 900 bands, over 160 interviews. Bands like, of course, Seven Seconds. The, the name of the book is taken from a Seven Seconds song, New Win. Dream Syndicate, Husker Du, Hard Ons, Camper Van Beethoven, Plim Souls, To Damascus is wow. speci specifically mentioned as well. I am way more interested in this than the Crossover the Edge book, which is no surprise uh, to you, I'm sure. I sure hope they talk about Grave Goods in there and give me some more info. Well, yeah, that Crossover the Edge book is pretty complete. The dude yeah. knows his shit, so I would not be surprised if they're in there. Yeah, can't wait. Um, all right, second spiel here. There's lots of new music that's always you know, that's always being released and we don't mention all of it on the show, but I do want to mention this new record that's coming out because it's a band called Pile, who was actually my number one pick in my top 10 two years ago for their Green and Grey record. They've got a new album coming out called In the Corners of a Sphere-Filled Room. And I haven't heard any of it yet, but the press release says essentially that it has no songs it's entirely improvisational. And the reason I, I wanted to mention it, because, of course, I'm a, I'm a fan of the band Pile, but we also just had on Paper Bag. Right. And so we've got an improvisational record coming out. Uh, I'm really interested to hear it. It is described as a collection of noise we made intermittently from December 2018 to January 2021, strung together to make a little under an hour of music that we think sounds somewhat cohesive. Hmm. That also sounds like the Zoog's Rift album <laughs> we're going to be coming up to pretty soon. <laughs> Same concept, splicing yeah. together a bunch of stuff to make a, a full album. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you listen to Pile, you probably have a pretty good sense of what their improvisational music sounds like, and I'm pretty sure I'll be into it. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, and then a, a final spiel, it actually has a tie-in with Conan Neutron as well, because he mentioned this on his podcast a few episodes back. And uh, folks, you know, folks listening to the show may be somewhat aware of this, but a cool dude the drummer for a band in Canada here, a really heavy noise band, Shallow North Dakota, Tony, he's come down with stage four pancreatic cancer. And there's been some benefits, uh, benefit releases, um, but a new one came out this week that I wanted to mention. But just by way of background, Shallow North Dakota is one of the heaviest bands of all time from Canada. Um, they were 
just road hogs. Like they were always on the road. You got to see them several times a year when you lived here in Canada way back then. Um, my band actually played with them a couple of times, most notably for me anyways, once with shallow North Dakota and this band called punch buggy at the town pump in Vancouver. This is like 1992. Um, there's no way that Tony remembers me, but I definitely remember him. Um, because we were out back in the alley where we were loading in and he was explaining why they had this massive chain uh, bolting their back doors uh, of their van together to prevent theft in the way that they had their band uh, van all locked up with all of these massive <laughs> chains and padlocks. Um, and he was just a cool dude. So it's a, it's uh it's, you know, pretty terrible news to hear that Tony has uh, become sick. It's a pretty serious one. Um, but, you know, folks should check out Shallow North Dakota. They've got some great records out uh, in Canada here. They came out on Sonic Onion Records, at least for two of their albums, Auto Body Crusher and This Apparatus Must Be Earth. There's also a Wicked Split with them and Kittens. Yeah. Um, and then they released their album Mob Wheel in 2004, I've even got their Pop the Hood cassette from 1993, which is awesome. But to help Tony, uh, Kowloon Wall City has pulled together a, a, a benefit 12-inch that has Kowloon Wall City, Shallow North Dakota, and Ken Mode on it. You can buy from Bandcamp three previously unreleased songs. Kowloon and Ken Mode do Shallow North Dakota covers and an unreleased Shallow North Dakota song. Go and buy that. 100% of the money goes to Tony's family. But most surprisingly for me is that this weekend I saw posted that another amazing Canadian band that uh, I'm a lifelong fan of, Chore, released a new single. It's their first piece of new music since 2002. Hmm. Um, they released a benefit for Tony and uh, they do a new song on it called Face, and then they do the song Greenhorn by Shallow North Dakota, which is off the This Apparatus Must Be Earthed. Everyone should go and buy that single. I broke my physical copy only rule and bought this chore single <laughs> because I love chore and I want to help Tony. I bought the Kowloon compilation too for him. But everyone should also go check out recordings by chore. Uh, now, I don't think I've mentioned them on the show before, um, but I'm just on a bit of a Canadian kick in this spiel here. Um, their records and other plebeium, Take My Mask and Breathe, Coastal Lion Fire. Uh, the brothers Mike and Chris Bell were also in a wicked band, Customaries, to put out a record in 2016. Mitch Bowden went on to play in Don Vale that has a few releases. So Chore, Customaries, Don Vale. But most of all, go and buy that uh, Kowloon Walled City split 12 inch and the new chore single to benefit tony all right man now should we get into these tapes yeah history lesson part one so this is interesting in that i have reread these sections of the books <laughs> the books that i have on this era of hr over and over and over as mm -hmm. we have done um the first human rights release that we've covered on the show, SST-117. Also leading up to the Eye Against Eye when we did that uh, episode, the Ross Michael episode. This is really the first time, though, when I've read through 
these sections of the books and and they are again for just as a reminder there's the greg prado book punk hardcore reggae pma bad brains doesn't really cover this stuff very well yeah the finding joseph i book of course by howie abrams and james lathos that's a great book great documentary too and then of course the dance of days book which i don't know if we've mentioned before on the show but like not only just an awesome book but there's some great hr and bad brains material in there that's by mark anderson and mark jenkins reading through these sections of these books this week for the first time it really clicked for me when listening to this compilation how much of a fusion of a hybrid of music hr was getting at with uh, this collection of musicians. He's really doing a hybrid of reggae, jazz, R&B, punk, funk. Uh, Mark Anderson hits on it a couple of times in both Dance of Days and Finding Joseph I, but it really kind of stuck out for me this time. And so cool that we have Jose on as well to talk about that. Yeah. Every time we get to one of these episodes, I I have to reread it to remind myself what the you know, how events unfolded. I think I finally understand it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Until we do uh, two more episodes on this in the next couple of weeks. Right. Well, as usual, the chronological order of this podcast is all fucked up because we've already done the 1987 Human Rights release. Yeah, we're back in 83, 84 for this yeah. episode, right? Let's be clear. Yeah. 83, 84 here. Yeah. Well, here's a little thing I I came up with, Ryan. Around 1983, following the release of Rock for Light, the Bad Brains are living in New York, and they start having musical differences. Basically, HR wants the group to devote itself entirely to reggae. It's around this time that HR joins a Rastafarian sect called the T- Twelve Tribes of Israel and begins to be known as Josephi. HR says in the Finding Josephi book, We decided that Bad Brains were going to take a spiritual retreat and do a little soul-searching and get to know ourselves and do a little research into the religion. So we decided that Bad Brains would disband and we would go our separate ways. Now, when HR says that, when he says we decided, I don't think Daryl and Doc were necessarily in agreement. I don't think so, yeah. Although Jose seems to suggest that like Doc was in the very, very first incarnation of this shift of a yeah. band, right? Yeah, you'll hear in the interview. So when when the Bad Brains were still all living in New York, a early version of this band jammed together. But eventually, Earl and HR moved back to D.C. and they formed the reggae group Zion Train. In late 83, early 84, they move into what becomes known as the Dread House, which was a three-level house where a bunch of the musicians on this record lived and rehearsed. They also started Olive Tree Records. HR again from the the book. I heard that being on the self-sufficient trip and having your own record company was where it was at, because then one could control their destiny. So I decided to start Olive Tree Records. Julie Bird, a resident of the Dread House, partnered up with HR as kind of a co-founder and financial backer of the label. No big surprise that HR wanted to form his own label at this point because a lot of the conflict within the Bad Brains centered around, you know, I don't know, 
not, I was going to say artistic control with labels, but I don't think that was the issue. I think it was more mistrust. Mistrust with corporations and wanting to be self-sufficient. Yeah. So when they moved to D.C., one of the first people that HR recruited was David Byers. Sounds like, you know, he knew that was what he wanted to do when he when he moved back to D.C. Yeah, for good reason, because David just shreds on these records. He does, yeah. HR played with Dr. No Man, so, mm-hmm. you know. That's a pretty high standard. Yep. David was in D.C. band Outrage and already had a reputation as a really talented musician and songwriter. HR asked Jose to relocate from New York to D.C., which he did. You'll hear in the interview. Earl joins on drums. David Jordan joins on second guitar, and they start rehearsing the tracks that would end up as It's About Love. Yeah, and this is when HR is wearing those military fatigues. Yeah. It's a a different, different look for him, for sure. At the same time, they've got the All Reggae Zion Train project going with HR on guitar, actually. David Byers is helping out with songwriting. Al Judah Walker is on vocals in Zion Train. Kenny Dredd, who's living at the Dredd House, is booking shows, producing records. He's playing in Zion Train. At some point, possibly on May 23rd, 1984, HR gets arrested for selling pot, which we'll be talking about when we go through the tracks here. (laughs) Here's what I found in the Dance of Days book by Mark Anderson and Mark Jenkins. They say, although HR had to cancel a planned national tour when his parole officer refused to let him leave the area, he was beginning to send his music to the world through his new label, Olive Tree. The first release contained the seven songs he'd recorded at Q Studios just before entering prison, but the label was also developing other bands. It became the nucleus for a mini scene that included go-go punk band Outrage and the metal punk groups Scythian, Revelation, and Press Mob, which was fronted by an astonishing dreadlocked female singer, Spike. As It's About Love was being readied for release, HR returned to Q to record some new songs. One of these, Keep Out of Reach, was his most fully realized song since the end of Bad Brains. This hybrid of reggae, rock, and jazz counseled would-be rebels to escape the system. Keep out of reach, don't compromise, HR warned, as one guitar played a Morse code riff over a second's swelling chords. The potent new style hinted at the new band's potential and showed that HR was moving beyond Bad Brains. It's About Love was recorded at Q Recording, Falls Church, Virginia, summer of 84. It also has an eighth track on it, Free Our Mind, recorded live at The Rat in Boston on July 9th, 1984. Produced by David Byers, mixed by David Earl and Kenny Dredd, who also executive produced it. Engineered by Jeff Jeffrey. The musicians on that one are Jose Gonzalez, a.k.a. Ho, a.k.a. on the record, Judah 2 on bass, Earl Hudson on drums, David Jordan guitar, David Byers guitar and synth, and a couple sax players, Doc Knight, who played with Scream, Static Disruptors, and, and an earlier Kenny Dredd group, Outrage, Mm -hmm. and many more. Howard Gadd, also on sax, and also Kenny Dredd on sax. It was the first release on Olive Tree Records, LP only, as Olive Tree 101 in 1985. Of course, then, in 85, the Bad Brains reunite for Eye Against Eye, 
and when that inevitably falls apart, HR resumes the human rights band, which we'll be revisiting in a few episodes from now, uh, as well as reforming Zion Train at that point. It was during this Bad Brains reunion, I believe, that Olive Tree released HR's Keep Out of Reach 12-inch EP as Olive Tree 105 in 1986. They also released the Zion Train 12-inch EP as Olive Tree Records 104 in 86 and a handful of other 12-inch EPs. The lineup for Keep Out of Reach is a bit different from It's About Love. It's Judah 2 again on bass, Earl on drums, Joseph I on Larynx Vibrations. David Jordan is gone. Dave Byers is still on guitar, also produced it. Kenny Dredd has switched to guitar. And they've got two new kind of shredders. Mark Riffle on guitar. Mark had been in a DC punk band uh, with some ska influences called Body Count. Not to be confused with Ice-T's band of the same name. (laughs) I'm glad you clarified, because I would have totally confused the two. Yep. Also on guitar, he's credited on the record as just Tico. That's Tico Zamora. Again, recorded at Q Studios in Falls Church, Virginia, spring 85. Engineered by Jeff Jeffrey, Jim Ebert, and John Beale. That was reissued by SST in 1987 as a 12-inch single. Also as a 3-inch CD, I think the first of these, and later as a 5-inch CD. So my theory, Ryan, which you'll hear in the interview, is that HR sold Olive Tree Records to Greg Ginn, like much like Watt did. For New Alliance, yeah. Yeah. Curious, though, like if he bought the entire catalog, you'd think, you know, they would have reissued everything because they could have put every release onto one album every release on olive tree is a 12 inch ep yeah well for hr right for all the groups yeah but i guess what you're saying is they could have put all on one release you mean for hr like not the beefeater 12 inch and stuff like that right well they could have made a compilation with like zion train beefeater psychotics oh like the olive tree records yeah i got you well i mean but i mean releasing them as separate releases then you make more dough maybe yeah i don't know maybe i'm just wishing that existed so i could hear all that stuff yeah well i mean i'm not sure that sst is the right home for beefeater though like it's either olive tree or discord or something right yeah here's one one thing i found ryan there's this guy mr jimmy jam aka james riley he worked at olive tree as a graphic designer He's also the vocalist for Revelation, which was a band Kenny Dredd was in on guitar. Skeeter Thompson of Scream was on bass. And Greg Miller of No Trend was the drummer in Revelation. Yep. They have a record called Final Days, which is actually on Spotify. No way. Yeah. In Finding Joseph I, he talks about how he was buying weed from HR at the Dredd house and told him he'd love to do some artwork. Uh, HR gave Jim a stick drawing of the HR logo and said, I want you to turn it into something. I want people to be reminded of a classic rock band logo like ACDC and KISS. But check this out, Ryan. This is a press release from February 85, written by Mr. Jimmy Jam. Chant down Babylon. HR comes out screaming, guitars blazing. A year after Rock for Light, the Bad Brains classic hardcore reggae album, the former lead singer, Joseph I, a.k.a. HR, comes forward with a new band and an independently produced mini-LP. The HR band features an all-star lineup, Joseph I's brother, Earl Hudson, 
also ex-Bad Brains on drums. Judah Tu, former, formerly of New York City's The Mob on bass. David Jordan, dreadlock guitarist extraordinaire, and DC's own David Byers, hot guitarist of go-go funk sensation Outrage. The HR 7-song mini LP also features Outrage members Doc Knight on sax and Kenny Dredd on synth, as well as Zion-trained saxophonist Howard Gadd. Let's have a revolution. The record opens with a slow, apocalyptic blues intro. Haunting jungle sounds set the mood of the album. Suddenly, with furious speed, the guitars attack, the rhythm section pounds, and crying out for peace, love, and unity, HR commands your attention. He wants a change. He wants it now, and he wants it for you, me, and everyone. The velocity and fury of the bad brains remains intact. But with this record, Joseph I shows a new maturity and direction in his message and sound. There is a polished merging of musical influences, from the delicate, soulful vocal and Spanish-tinged guitar stylings of Who Loves You, to the razor-sharp thrash of It'll Be Alright, to the gentle, muted reggae of Happy Birthday My Son. The lyrics are a kaleidoscope of emotions that reflect the pain and anguish Joseph I feels in his struggle to reach Mount Zion. The record bears witness to the trials and tribulations of a Rasta man in modern-day Babylon. But HR also offers hope, a chance to free our minds, and shows us that music is the key to unlocking the doors of freedom. Open your eyes and ears. Open your soul. Joseph I has a beautiful vision. Check it while you can. Nice. So the HR tapes, Ryan, came out in 1988 on cassette and CD only, and it Mm -hmm. compiles It's About Love and the Keep Out of Reach 12-inch EP. It's About Love is on the A side of the cassette. Keep Out of Reach is on the B side. As you mentioned, we'll be hearing both of those releases again on episodes 177 and 179. Should we throw it over to Ho? Yeah, man. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Ho. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, you're very welcome, man. It, it, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can tell me about growing up. You grew up in New York. I did, yes. I, I grew up... Uh originally in in Spanish Harlem, then uh, as a teenager, moved out to Queens, Queens, New York, Astoria, specifically, Mm -hmm. and and then spent uh, a good bit of time there, played some music there uh, in the New York area, and then eventually moved out to to the Washington, D.C. area. When did you first start playing in bands? Was The Mob your first band? It was, yes. I think I was 17 years old and the mob was my first band. And it was uh, a, a matter of uh, the, uh, the original bass player wanted to do something else and they needed another bass player. And, um, and I was a friend of, of most of the guys. So they brought me on board. Did the mob ever play with bad brains? Uh, yes. That's a, a funny thing because many of the bands in, in that came up around that time and uh, idolize and I still do actually the bad brains and we I specifically and and, and my friend uh, Jack Flanagan as well uh, became very good friends with them and our first gig was opening up for the bad brains which um, 
the Bad Wings were light years ahead of everyone else. So it was, uh, it was a bit of a challenge to, uh, to try to hang with them, yeah. which, of course, you never can. So uh, that, that was our first gig, opening up for the Bad Wings. Okay. That's quite the first gig. It was, yes. Uh, I remember specifically that it cost $3 to get in. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Now, you said that you knew HR from opening for the Bad Brains. Now, yes. did you first start jamming with him outside of Bad Brains while you were still living in New York? Yes. Yes, and... Uh... Yeah, there's a bit of a, of a convoluted side story with that. The bad brains were going through one of those things. They're, they're well documented. They're, they're ups and they're downs, and they were get, they were going through a thing where they weren't getting along exactly. And so uh, HR decided to start to do something on his own and not call it bad brains. And most people don't know the story that I'm about to tell you, but. The original uh, HR project was HR, of course, myself on bass, Gary Miller, a.k.a. Dr. No, on guitar, and a drummer named David Hahn, who was a former manager of theirs. Mm. And uh, we never actually got to play out live, but we did rehearse a few times, and that, that for whatever reason, that didn't materialize into an actual working band. Uh, but yes, originally in New York, we did get together to, uh, to jam and we did, and it, it was great, sounded great, okay. but, uh, it never, it never took it, uh, too much further than that. Do you recall if HR had any songs at this point? Like let's have a revolution, I think was maybe one of the early HR band songs. Were any of those tunes kicking yes. around this early? No, they, they, they were not all, all, all of that music from the first album uh, it's about love that, that I, I did play on. Uh, all of that music was written, rehearsed, and recorded in the Washington, D.C. area. Okay. It was recorded at a place called Q Recording Studios uh, out in Falls Church, Virginia. Uh, but it was rehearsed and written in Washington, D.C. proper, 83, I think. So take me mm -hmm. back to that. HR decides to go back to D.C. and at some point, he calls you and asks if you want to re relocate and play in his band? Pretty much, yes. And, and what I tell people about that is, imagine if you're the biggest Metallica head that ever existed. You love Metallica, you live and breathe Metallica, and James Hetfield calls you and says, hey, you want to join the band? What would you do? What would you say? Yeah. You're like, yeah, okay, uh, when do you need me? I'll be there tomorrow. Thanks, bye. <laughs> and so that's how that went. That, that's pretty, and, and there was the opportunity was because by the time I got that call, the thing was, uh, yeah, Earl's in the band. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Earl's in the band. I'm in. Right. Uh, Earl, Earl being Earl Hudson, the drummer. Right. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was a no brainer. At first, I tried to do both and, and commute. I spent a lot of time on the bus going back and forth between New York and DC, but it, it was pretty evident very quickly maybe within two weeks or so, that the future lay in, in playing music with, with these guys who are at a much, much higher level than what I was used to. Okay. So consequently, I, I was growing as a result of it. About these guys, can you tell me about a, a few things about some of them? Tell me about David Byers. That is the linchpin 
for the whole thing. Uh, David Byers was, was, I don't know if he graduated from Berkeley, but he did go to Berkeley. And so he was a, a next level of musicianship, essentially a, a jazz musician, an accomplished jazz musician who, uh, who enjoyed playing punk rock as well. Later on, he, he became our producer, but he was just a, a, a very gifted young man, extremely, extremely gifted young man. So the way the process worked, and, and, and I got the bird's eye view of it, was HR had, he was so prolific at that time, and he had the ideas, and he had in his brain what he wanted things to sound like, and David was able to translate all of those ideas into actual music and, and make it work melodically and, and organizationally and so forth. So a, amazing player. Okay, and David Jordan on second guitar? David Jordan was uh, was also extremely gifted. Coming from the world that I came with, came from, which was very basic musically, these guys were, uh, again, uh, I keep repeating myself, miles ahead of me. And David Jordan was the first individual I ever encountered who tuned his guitar differently. You know, I, I was used to tuning the guitar the way everyone else does. Right. And uh, he was using some alternate tunings. And alternate tunings, you know, he might as well have been speaking Chinese. So he was, uh, yeah, he was tuning his guitar strangely. Uh, but it worked. It, of course it worked, you know. But uh, yeah, he, he had a different musical language than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Okay, on saxophones, Doc Knight? Doc Knight is... Um, uh, was a very good friend of of, Dave, of uh, David Byers. Uh, they played together in a band called Outrage, and uh, it, it was a very eclectic mix of sounds. Uh, uh, the basis of it, the foundation of it, was go-go music, which is uh, indigenous to Washington, D.C., uh, with jazz on top and rock and hip-hop and just a little bit, you know, a lot of sprinklings of different ideas. Uh, and he was a vocalist. Doc Knight was a vocalist as well as playing saxophone. Again, a uh, very talented guy. And uh, he went on to, to do different musical projects with different people. And uh, very accomplished guy. Okay. And also Howard Gadd. Howard Gadd was, uh, I, I didn't get to know him very well. He only, I only got to play with him for, for a little bit. If, if I'm remembering this correctly, he also played uh, the saxophone. Mm -hmm. He played on on some of the uh, "It's About Love" tracks, and uh, but not all of them. Right. And I I couldn't exactly tell you which ones he played on. Kenny Dread. Kenny Dread. Um, again, it, it was all very uh, you know a quote unquote a, a bit of a scene, and a lot of us knew each other. To me, coming from New York. These guys were, were new to me, but they weren't new to each other. Right. And Kenny, Kenny played with Doc Knight, and he played with David Byers as well in the uh, band that I mentioned called Outrage. And um, yeah, Kenny uh, played guitar. He uh, multi multi instrumentalist. He played guitar. He played bass. Uh, later on, he actually uh, played bass uh, on tour with HR. And, and I think he played on the third record as well. When you moved to D.C., are you living at the Dread House? Yes. 
exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes, uh, we. Um, it was at Seventeenth uh, Street and R Street, right across from the Third uh, District Metropolitan Police Station, and uh, it, it was a, a group house situation, you know. And uh, the, the the phrase "starting starving artist" was definitely invented for situations like that. It sounds like it was a pretty wild scene at times in that house. It, it was. It was. It, it was. Uh, it, it was it's, it's the kind of stuff that you can only get away with when you're 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, if you get too much past that, you know, you're like, why don't, why am I sleeping on the floor? Right. You know, why don't I, you know, why am I hungry? Uh, things of that nature. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, it was fabulous again, because HR was, um, in, in that time frame was, was so prolific with ideas and, and musicality. And, uh, we had a very strong work ethic. Uh, we were rehearsing every day. Uh, unless there was a gig, if right. there wasn't a gig, we were rehearsing. And uh, that particular house, uh, there were people that would come by uh, just to hang out and talk. They'd throw a couple of names at you. Um, uh, Ian McKay might stop by right. and 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 argue stuff. And when I say argue, I don't mean argue. Uh, I mean uh, spirited conversations with uh, with HR about religion and, and about this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, it was just uh, terribly fun to, uh, to witness it and hear it. And, and two people who are so good at what they do, you know, and, and you have a ringside seat to something like that. Right. It's good. It's good for you. Yep. Yeah. I read somewhere that it's about love was written and recorded very quickly. Do you remember writing it and recording it? Yes. Yes. It, it was, uh, HR, uh, um, is, is famous for being very quick. They're, they're again, well-documented instances and stories of, uh, uh, of him coming after the fact, particularly with bad rings, coming in after the fact, after the music's been done, the, the instruments, and he'll come with his notebook and, uh, you know, a couple hours later, the entire album is done. Mm -hmm. uh, lyri lyrically speaking with the, with the, it's about love stuff. Uh, it happened organically in the rehearsal studio. So the songs were actually finished in the rehearsal environment and then taken to the studio. And it, uh, by monetary necessity, it had to happen quickly because, right. uh, yeah, we, we, we didn't have that kind of money. And, uh, as you well know, it costs money to record. Uh, well, it certainly did back then more than it does now even. So by, by necessity, it had to happen quickly. So we were well rehearsed, well prepared, one or two takes, and it was a wrap. Now, before that, as the songs were actually written in the studio, uh, again, HR was just very uh, on top of it. He knew what he wanted. He knew how to communicate it to David. David would communicate it to us. and uh, Or... HR can also come at you and go hum to you what he wants. And you're like, okay, got it. Right. Like that. I know you did play some shows. There's the live at CBGB's in 84. There's a track on this album, actually, Free Our Mind at the Rat in Boston. Were you touring at all, or were those kind of just one-off shows? Yeah, they, they, they were uh, a, a bit of both, actually. Uh when when uh 
when I hear the word tour, I think tour bus, you know, big venue or, or mid-sized venue, what have you, and, and a certain amount of gigs every week. Uh, these were not exactly one-offs either, but it was more like, uh, let's uh, jump in the van and we got five gigs to go do, right. like that. So they were very uh, mini tours, is being generous, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Are you playing with Zion Train at the same time? At the same time, in the same rehearsal environment, uh, Zion Train is going on uh, at David Jordan's house, as a matter of fact. At David Jordan's basement was where the bulk of all of that stuff got written and rehearsed and ready to either A, go out on the road a little bit or take it to the studio. And uh, so, yeah, it was a whole cast of characters. Okay. Yeah, tell me about Al Walker. Oh, man. I, I hope you get to talk to Al Walker. He's a, he's a very good interviewer and very knowledgeable about what was going on mm-hmm. at that time. Al, um, Al and HR were inseparable at one point. They were uh, spiritual twins. And Al actually had a, um, a good deal of influence uh, on HR uh, specifically pertaining to, to Rastafari and, and reggae. You know, the, the spiritual approach to things is, is a good way to put it, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Julie Bird? Julie Bird was uh, the right person at the right time because uh, she came into the uh, starving artist uh, situation and, and put some organization on it put a, a little bit of finances on it, had the idea uh, along with HR to do the uh, independent label called Olive Tree Records. I think she provided transportation for us as well. And uh, just a, a very kind-hearted woman who uh, really was just uh, in it to be helpful. You know, and then later on things uh, developed where, where she got... Uh, some financial reward out of it not much you know that's even a bit of a stretch but you know a heart in the right place at the right time and got a bunch of unorganized musicians and artists organized do you know how these records some of the some of them anyways got re-released on sst do you know if like you mentioned a financial reward i don't know if you know anything about that aspect of it i was thinking maybe julie and or hr sold olive tree to greg ginn or something like that to the best of my knowledge that is correct oh okay. to the best of my knowledge it, it happened exactly as as you just said it the records were released as 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 you probably know independently on the olive tree label and it was you know fast forward a few years before they were released on sst yeah yeah so that that's exactly how that happened and, and now, nowadays that's common uh common practice you know for, for things like that to happen and and that uh pretty revolutionary for for back then yeah. you know like you know here's here's some music and uh here you can have it do what you will with it i'll just take a few dollars for it and see you later now i'm pretty sure you didn't play on this record but i'm wondering if you have any info at all on the ross michael zion train record see i did, I did play on one zion train record i actually played guitar on it hmm. but i don't believe it was that one yeah that's the one uh, where they went over to jamaica to record Ah, uh, yes. No, I did not play on that one. Yeah. No, I did I did not. Uh, Ross Michael was a lovely soul. I, I, I did get to play live with him a couple of times. 
And and again, there, there were a couple of people in HR's orbit, uh, Ross Michael being a, uh, a huge one, that that influenced his his spiritual beliefs and his spiritual thinking and his approach to uh, to writing reggae music and 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 enjoying reggae music and 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 actually wanting to just concentrate on reggae music and and step back a little bit from the uh, from the hardcore, mm-hmm. from the hardcore rock stuff. Uh, Ross Michael again is very one of those people that uh, could communicate without a formal musical vocabulary. He could communicate what he wanted you to play for him okay. and with him. Yeah, just tr- tremendous dude. Yeah, so I'm curious if you have any insight on this. You you mentioned you know HR wanting to focus on reggae, which you read a lot about, you know, that was kind of some of the conflict he was having with the Bad Brains was his desire to, to play more reggae. But yet yep. the HR band is closer to Bad Brains than it is to pure roots reggae. So I'm wondering, like, did you see that conflict in HR? I feel like he was maybe doing the fighting against what his fans expected of him, perhaps. Uh, I, I think that's that's a good that's a good take on it, and and you will you will find that that streak throughout his uh, musical existence where he uh, and and even Bad Brains themselves went against the grain, you know, and in, in in true punk fashion, uh, and, and to to try to give you the unexpected. Um, I think with with the first couple of HR recordings. There was, uh, on his part, a bit of a compromise where I'm going to give you some of what you want, but not all of what you want. And at the same time, I'm going to give you something different that may enlighten you and may get you to appreciate a different style. Right. And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's probably why the first couple of HR records are my favorite because they're, they, they can uh, stimulate some thought. In that regard, they're not. It's just not a reggae record. It's not just a rock record. It's a little bit of this and that. Did you feel that all just as a musician on the stage? Like, say, when Zion Train is is playing, were you fighting against, you know, the the crowd's expectations of what they wanted to hear? One hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, a lot of people came just to see what HR was up to, and. Um, and what it would sound like. And, and it took years and years and years of, of HR persevering for people just to come to listen to some reggae. Yeah. You know, because eventually when you, when you went to an HR show, you knew that that's what you were getting. You're like, Hey, I'm going to go listen to some reggae. I'm going to see HR. He's going to play this song, that song. And, uh, you know, strictly reggae. But yeah, uh, you were definitely at the very beginning. You had a lot of, uh, fans that just wanted the, the hardcore stuff. I, um, I remember a gig at this place in Washington, D.C. called the Wilson Center where the Bad Brains play a lot of reggae, that particular show, that particular set. And um, I don't know, some people might argue this point, but uh, I'll, I'll stand by it. It's the first time that I ever saw the Bad Brains get dominated in a musical field. Mm-hmm. And uh, it happened to be Minor Threat that did it. You know, and the reason why was because it was a bunch of kids and they wanted hard, fast punk. And that particular day, the bad things didn't oblige. Right. If they felt like obliging, of course, minus that would not stand a chance. But 
the bad rings didn't oblige that day. Minor Threat did, and Minor Threat won the uh, won the night, right? So to speak. So by spring of '85, you're back in the studio at Q again, recording the tracks "Keep Out of Reach," "Power of the Trinity." Yeah. What do you remember about those tracks in that session? Does anything stand but out th- for you? That, th- yeah, that was uh, again a, a, a huge musical growth for me. Uh, David Byers on that one was was the producer, and he was functioning like what I would find out later, what a producer does. You know, uh, play this, play this softly, do this, do that. Uh, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should do that. So he really had his producer pants on. And um, we had a, a couple of uh, different guitar players on that uh, recording. Uh, two young guys, very young. One of them was a classically trained flamingo guitar player uh, whose father was uh, was a big deal in that world. Hmm. And uh, this was a flamingo guitar player who had a penchant for loving metal music, like Ingwe Malmsteen type uh, metal okay. music. Yeah, yeah. And so you'll notice that very vastly different musically, uh, it's about love versus keep out of reach. And it, primarily because of the, the guitar playing. I think you're talking about Mark Riffle and Tico Zamora. That is correct. Yeah. Yes, and, and and Mark Mark is a lovely soul. I hope you get to speak to him as well. He lived out in Virginia. We, we rehearsed at his house. He was a friend of of HRs and a friend of the band. He uh, they, they just contributed a, a a different approach, and so consequently the recording sound uh, is different and and not better or worse, just different and. Uh, I happen to quite like that. It's probably uh, one of my favorite recordings of, yeah. of the early HR stuff. What can you tell me about the band The Psychotics? The Psychotic. Wow, that's a good one. That is a good one. Okay, that that uh, The Psychotics uh, was was a very early, a very early uh, David Byers project. Very uh, freeform. Very freeform sounding. Uh, not easy to digest, you know, because they didn't go by by the formula. It wasn't the uh, one, two, three, four formula. It was uh, thinking man's punk, okay. so to speak. They, and they, there were uh, quite a few musicians in that band that uh, I think maybe maybe Black Knight might have uh, had a stint with them as well. And maybe the, there might not be any recorded history, uh, maybe just some demos uh, of those guys, that they were very much... Uh, uh, a part of things, even if they didn't get to play too many gigs, they, the individual members went on to do various things later on. Do you know who Claude Bent is? He had a record on Olive Tree under the name Rhythm Section. Yes, uh, Claude where it was a Rasta, and uh, I think he was brought on uh, brought on onto the Olive Tree family by by julie and hr and they just saw something in him that that they liked that appealed to them uh he had some good songs um good straightforward reggae music you know very spirit you know very spiritual very nice very very palatable Mm -hmm. and uh yeah quite quite good eventually hr goes back to bad brains the eye against eye record what did you do did you keep doing uh, music? I, 
yes, I, I kept doing music in, in various form, forms. I actually uh, embraced a, a band and, and a group of friends that eventually turned into something called Soul Defenders. And uh, I joked that I played on the reggae chitlin circuit, uh, which was just, you know, yeah, we had about three or four gigs uh, per week. And they, they weren't the greatest gigs, but, you know, they, 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 kept the, uh, they kept the belly full. And it was basically like reggae happy hour at, at a sports bar or, you know, reggae this over here. Later on, it turned into something a little more uh, lucrative where uh, artists from Jamaica would come, and, and now this is standard practice, but artists from Jamaica would come and they would need a backing band. Right. Instead of bringing the entire band, you know, it makes financial sense. Instead of bringing the entire band, you just bring the singer and get the band over here, cost infinitely less, a lot less money. And uh, so, so got to do that for a while. Uh, yeah, it, when, when HR left to do the, um, the I Against I recordings, all of that music was, and again, going, going you know, full circle to how prolific HR was, all of that music was already done. And, uh, and HR just went and, and nailed it, knocked it out of the park into what is arguably the, the best Bad Brain record of all time. Yeah. My opinion, yes. And now, are you still playing music now? Uh, right now, I am playing uh, at home, obviously, because of the situation. Right. Uh, ha- haven't played the last time I played was a few mob reunions, and uh, and and that's it. So right right now, it's it's just uh, basically uh, in- enjoying it at home with the family, and uh, teaching the kids how to play. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate this. Not, not at all, man. Th- thank you for, for reaching out. Again, it's my pleasure, and, and I hope you reach out to a few of the uh, people that you mentioned. You'll, you'll have a lot of fun. All right. That's so cool to hear uh, right from Ho or Jose himself. It just sounds like such an interesting scene that was like a little mini movement Yeah. that was really taking off to... And it was seems like it was kind of two things happening at once for HR almost. There was a Rastafarian evolution and then also almost like resisting people's expectations of him almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said this before, but the generally accepted narrative is that he always left the bad brains because he wanted to focus on reggae, but you know, this record kind of dispels that myth for sure. Yeah, I would say um, it is an interesting blend though, right? There's some super shredding, there's some funky R and B and it, that, but I mean, like for me, the absolute standout on every single one of these tracks is HR's vocals for sure. Of course. But this, this blows the 1987 human rights record out of the water. Oh, Totally. This does not sound as dated, yeah. for one, because it doesn't have uh, those synths. This stuff holds up, especially, well, actually, I was going to say, especially the It's About Love, but I actually really like the Keep Out of Reach 12-inch too, those tracks, so yeah. I don't know. Um, I did find one other quote from the the Finding Joseph I book that I like, just about the live show for these guys. Kenny Dredd has a quote in here. Um, it starts off by 
describing. He says, uh, David Byers was one of the first African-American punk rockers in the DC scene, same generation as Bad Brains and the same generation as Skeeter Thompson from Scream. Then he says, we weren't just a band. We were a posse. We lived together, rocked together, conquered together. Our performances sometimes became like a basketball game, keeping score. Who had them dancing the most? Who had them thrashing the most? Who had them freaking out the most? And we went out there to win every time. It was an incredible experience to play music with someone who lived it. 100% rocker. Awesome. Love that. Yeah, well, I'll just remind people, we had Kenny Dredd on as a guest for whatever episode that was, the human rights record. 117. Yeah. Yeah, go check that out. Kenny's a, a good interview as well. Hey, I've got a spaceman spiel on this. Should we hit it? Sure. So this is what the spaceman said about this comp in the SST catalog. Almost sounds like it was supposed to come out just as cassette only to start. Hmm. Um, maybe like, you know, those Zoogs and Saccharin Trust and Miniman ones. I don't know. Here's what it said. Bonus cassette of solo HR One Love Rock. This special cassette has the It's About Love EP and the Keep Out of Reach 12-inch all in one cassette. Handy at twice the price. This special cassette is a must for all lovers of spiritual rock. Then it says SST 171 cassette 750 CD 13 bucks. It's a weird spaceman spiel because he mentions cassette four times and then right after it it says cassette and CD. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't... I don't know. They like doing this, you know, like My First Bells, for example, or there's been others. But, I, you know, I would have bought this on cassette, not CD, that's for sure, back, yeah. back then. Okay, Ryan, let's have a revolution. You want to go through these tracks? Yeah. History Lesson, Part 2. All right, Track 1, Prelude Roots. Just a short little synth backing HR doing some kind of creepy humming over top. I'm not sure if it was meant to sound as ominous as it does. Yeah, I don't know. I heard like a bass hmm. underlying it. But you think that's synth? Sounds like it to me. Oh, okay. But then we go screaming into track number two. It'll be all right. That break in the middle where it goes down to the riff. It's pretty awesome. This could be a Bad Brains track. Yeah, it totally could, except this track has got some keys on it, and that makes it stand out a bit. Yeah. Killer guitar playing. I just assume all the shredding on this record is by David Byers, but uh, as Ho mentions in the interview, David Jordan was quite the player as well. So Yeah. Track three, We're Gonna Get You slash Heaven Forbid. Again, David Byers, at least that's who I'm giving the credit to, hopefully not wrongly. Considering how deep into Rastafarianism HR was at this point, I was thinking, like, lyrically, this album doesn't really reflect that so much. Yeah. the uh, It's a total thrasher, and then it's got that wicked bass breakdown in the middle, and the mid-tempo part is just killer. Yeah, although these songs are grouped together on the track number on the CD... If you look at the insert that came with the Olive Tree release for It's About Love, they're actually two separate songs. Like the Heaven Forbid part comes in after HR's doing that spiel about giving back my marijuana or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, track four, Let's Have a Revolution. 
I believe it says in the book, this is one of the first songs they wrote. It's got like HR getting, I don't know, read his rights or something at the beginning. Yeah. You are hereby released. Yeah. No! (laughs) (laughs) Man, let's have a revolution. It's kind of a weird song with like the backing vocals in the background and all the shredding. Yep. It's more mid-tempo though compared to the first two. Yeah. But then Who Loves You Girl? This HR's vocals are real standout for me. And like some great, really great Spanish guitar. Ah, some Spanish guitar. Yep. I even like the synth on this song. Yeah. It's a total, just like a flat out love song. Hey. Yeah. HR just crooning on it though. Yeah. I had this one stuck in my head all week. Okay. It's about love. The snare drum sound is really not great on this one. Yeah, my my note said snare sound is lame. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you picked it out too. Yeah. There's some sax on it though, which is uh, gives it a different kind of flavor. Yeah, it's an all right song. I feel like this was maybe influenced by Prince. It sounds like something he would have done hmm. in this era. Anyways, probably the most famous track is next. Happy birthday, my son. Finally, we get some reggae. Uh, this tells the story of Babylon locking HR up and throwing away the key. Yeah. Take his money, too. Yep. So he was arrested for selling pot, obviously. Kenny Dredd mm-hmm. in the book says, It was a way for someone in a band to make money, and it's all documented beautifully in Happy Birthday, My Son. I made a part of my living this way back in the day. A lot of us did. Yeah. And his son is uh, PJ, or Paul Jr. Yeah. And it happened on his birthday. That he was arrested mm-hmm. May 23rd 1984 track 8 free our mind this one's great with HR getting everybody going at the beginning yeah it'd be great to hear the whole show yeah it's too bad there isn't a tape of that out there yeah live at the rat in Boston July 9th 1984 pretty rough recording actually but if you want to hear a great set from this lineup of the band check out that live at CBGB's 1984 it's great uh, they play this whole album on it and I counted, I think, four tracks that are n- not on any HR record, hmm. which is interesting that this is only an EP, because that's it. This is the end of It's About Love. Yeah. Then we go into the Keep Out of Reach tracks with the title track, Keep Out of Reach, vocal version. These next three tracks are almost as long combined as It's About Love. They're all, yeah. three are pretty long. <laughs> it's got the same rhythm section on the EP. David Jordan is gone on guitar. David Byers is still around. Kenny Dredd is playing with the band at this point. And Mark Riffle and Tico Zamora are on gits and acoustic gits. As it says on the CD. This is a cool track. Lots of killer guitar playing. Really interesting extended funk jam at the end. Mm -hmm. Then we have Keep Out of Reach dub version. Not sure who mixed this version of it. I'm guessing it was David Byers and or Kenny Dredd. I always have time for some good dub reggae. This isn't reggae, but that's, no. the, that's the idea. This is just basically an instro version remixed. Yeah. And then, holy shred, we're going into yeah. Power of the Trinity. Uh, this one is a really weird song. It's got like so many yeah. musical ideas crammed into one song. The, I was digging it. Yeah. I really dug it. Like I was shocked um, that this one stuck out so much for me this time around it's almost like iron maiden style heavy metal 
uh, in parts. And then it goes into this ska piece with HR doing some weird announcer type skit over top. And then the song is Heidi Selassie power of the Trinity. Yeah. And then the song just abruptly stops. It's so weird. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is like 34 minutes long. The whole HR tapes. It's uh, it's an interesting release. I'm glad it was put out because, you know, the olive tree recordings are not that easy to get a hold of. Yeah. We've got some great Rastafarian-influenced artwork by James Riley. We've got the HR logo, which is awesome, which I talked about. Uh, James did several variations of that logo, which you can see on the inside of the Finding Joseph I book, some of which HR used on other album covers later on. We've got the Star of David on the cover of the record, the Lion of Judah, some pot leaves on the back. There's some great pics on the inside of the CD of the band. Yeah, it looks so weird to see that one picture. Like, there's HR in the front wearing his camos. Byers is, he looks like he's flying the flannel with a, a toque on. Yep. Looks like Ho is rocking a jazz bass with a wicked tam. Yep. Um, someone on sax with the fedora. I don't know which, I don't know who that would be. Yeah, I don't know either. And then on second guitar, I guess that would be David Jordan. I'd say so, yep. On the Les Paul, hey? I'm pretty sure that picture is from the back cover of the the Olive Tree version of It's About Love. No. No, no, no it's not. No, it's different on that one. Hmm. Yeah, so... These pictures, there's a few that are from the back, but um, not all of them. A lot of these on the inside of the CD, these photos, are actually from the insert of the It's About Love Olive Tree release oh, version. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and But not all of them, too. So I'm trying to look like... None of the pics from the back of the It's About Love are in the CD here. Some of them are in here. Like that one of the, the band shot on the far left underneath the uh, the Star of David. That's nowhere to be found. Hmm. Um, the one with Earl kind of reaching up with his sticks along the bottom. That's in Keep Out of Reach. Um, the one with HR along the top. That's Keep Out of Reach. Um, the one of the band up against the brick wall, keep out of reach. Uh, Jose along the bottom, keep out of reach. The one along the top, though, that looks like David Byers playing a strat with HR. Yeah. That's nowhere to be found. I think that picture might be on the human rights record, but maybe not. Ah. Pretty sure those two younger fellas on the right there. Far right. Far right. I think that's Tico and Mark. I don't know which is Tico which, though. I think you're right. Yep. Both playing uh, Strat-looking guitars. Probably Yamahas, they look like there. Hmm. And uh, Jose and the one shot there is playing a different different type of Fender. Looks like a jazz bass, though. Different one than in the inside of the CD. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of shots, yep. which is cool. Got a nice long thank you list on the back of the CD. Is or, it ever? Yeah. Lots of thanks and praises to Haile Selassie. Ross Michael gets a shout out. Yeah. Any DC punk rockers? Alec Mackay. Hilly Crystal, Rick Okasic. Yeah. Michael Nkrumah, Scream, Gary Miller. Beef Eater. 
outrage, bad brains. I think, uh, are we ready to go with the ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. Now, keeping in mind, Ryan, we're going to get all of these tracks again. I know. What are your picks? So I would probably go with, there, there are several from It's About Love. So I don't feel quite as restricted there. I feel like Keep Out of Reach, we really have two choices when we get there. Yep. And I want to have Power of the Trinity on at least once on our comp tapes. Okay. So if we're not going with Power of the Trinity for this episode, we have to go with it when we do the Keep Out of Reach. Okay, I can agree with that. So that's that's really driving a lot of my thinking. Um, but I, I still really like the thrash tunes from It's About Love, but we'll get them, we'll get another chance. So I'm kind of thinking... Um, it'd be great to do power of the Trinity or keep out of reach. And then whichever one of those two, we don't do, we'll do when we hit the 12 inch in a few weeks. That's my thinking. What about you? Yeah, but there's several good tracks on it's about love too. Of course. Yeah, of course. My favorites are, it'll be all right. Who loves you girl? Happy birthday, my son. And the two you mentioned, keep out of reach power of the Trinity. Yeah, I think we better go with uh, Keep Out of Reach. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's a cool track. So that means then we have essentially chosen the ballot result for Keep Out of Reach episode. But don't forget, because I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks to Jose for being on the show. Yeah, it's awesome. Sounds like he has such cool fond memories of the time back then which just adds another level when we're listening to the tracks this week and he kept he kept playing reggae after this too which is awesome yeah we have a super interesting record next week ryan yeah sst 172 the fred frith double lp the technology of tears whoa and we've got a special guest yeah fred frith is on the show Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.